0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the happiest days I've had in the last month was the day I got to unpack all my books. You see, we've recently been given access to our new church offices to start setting up, and that means after almost a year, Packed away, I have finally been reunited with my beloveds. (laughs) We don't yet have bookshelves or furniture, but at least we have some folding tables I can pile them up on for the time being, which is good because I have a lot of books. They filled something like 20 boxes. Melinda, my wife, would tell you I have too many books. I would tell you that's impossible. I've got novels and poetry and history and biography. I've got more Bibles than anyone should need, though that's kind of an occupational hazard. (laughs) But the majority of my books are books, understandably, about theology and spirituality and religion and so on. There must be thousands of pages of wisdom on those topics in my collection, a collection that, even as big as it is, is still but a sliver of all the work that has been produced in those fields. Which made it a little awkward this week as I sat down to chew over the lessons for today, surrounded happily by my stacks of books, and found this line staring back at me. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the wise? (laughs) For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Needless to say, this put a damper on the delight of this bookworm. But of course it is true. As Paul goes on to explain, in Jesus, God was revealed not in dictation, but in incarnation. The word became flesh before it became a book. And therefore, the wisdom of God was shown before it was written. Remember, Paul was writing out of an encounter he had with Jesus, not out of his close reading of the New Testament. There was no New Testament. Writing was secondary. A helpful tool, surely, to capture and pass on important messages and moments, but meant as an aid. To our own encounter with Jesus, who was not a person, who was a person and not a character within a story, and who remains accessible to us outside the pages of a book. All that has been written in response to Jesus' life, be it scholarly or scriptural or spiritual, is helpful and we need it being so far removed from the events themselves. But all those pages can also sometimes obscure the simple truth that at its root, the Christian faith does not come from the page, but from a person. And therefore, it is not primarily an idea or a concept, but a way of life. A way of life that, frankly, is not that complicated, despite all the pages that have been written about it. Micah was trying to make this clear long before Jesus came around. God is fed up, Micah says, because after rescuing the people from slavery, they have somehow still failed to grasp how they should live. And instead, they obsess over the complicated laws and rules for what kind of sacrifices they should offer. Enough, God said. You know what is required of you. And it has nothing to do with burnt offerings or jugs of oil. It's all very clear. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. A three line encapsulation of hundreds of pages of scripture which you would be hard pressed to improve upon. It's that simple. Justice. Love, kindness, humility. These are the same notes that Jesus is singing as he starts his most famous discourse, the Sermon on the Mount. This list of blessed art thou's or the beatitudes offer another clear and concise outline of what faithful living looks like. And they also bring a word of hope and encouragement. To those who may be wondering if these truly are the principles by which one should live because they find themselves suffering rather than celebrating by their adherence to justice, love, and mercy. But Jesus assures them, not just in what he says, but in what he does, that these truly are the ways of God. It really is that simple at its heart. The question may change, but the answer is always the same. Do that which is lovely. Do that which is kind. Do that which is just. That is a holy life. That is a good life. You can hear sermons filled with Hundreds of words of wondrous wisdom from priests near and far You can read pages and pages of books on the subject, but they should all eventually come back to that. For the Christian faith really is that simple. Simple, but not easy. This is a refrain, you will hear me say, time and again. Christianity is simple, but not easy. Kind of like Mozart. (laughs) As a classical composer, Mozart's music has a formal structure and clarity within which he could conform his compositional genius. The music is pleasant to listen to. It is tuneful. It, It makes sense. In that way, it is simple and clear. But don't for one second think that makes it easy to play or to sing. When I was a tenor, Mozart was my least favorite composer to sing. One of my favorites to listen to, but least favorite to sing, because especially for a a tenor like me, these nice, pretty melodies were devilishly difficult to pull off well. They often sat right in the hardest part of the voice and required painstaking precision, and you'd finish one of these arias and you'd, you'd get nice, polite applause, and you'd want to stop and shout out. You people have no idea how hard that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's much easier to sing Verdi and Puccini with their melodramatic melodies and their impassioned high notes. that makes the crowd go wild. Mozart is the epitome of that which is simple but not easy. As the great pianist Arthur Schnabel once said about Mozart's piano sonatas, they are too easy for children and too difficult for artists. A truth I'm sure our wonderful young musicians are starting to appreciate this morning. Living... A Christian life is also simple and not easy. And that's because despite their clarity, the teachings of Christ run contrary to our nature and our understanding of how the world works. That is Paul's other point to the Corinthians. Not only did God come among us as a person to be emulated rather than as a text to be studied, which was already a novel concept which people were stumbling over, but the way he lived and the way he died were a complete inversion of how we understand the world to work, how we are inclined to behave ourselves, and certainly how we understand something like an all-powerful God to function. The cross is the essence of this incomprehensible lesson. Which is why Paul talks about its foolishness. It's foolish because it makes no sense according to the wisdom of this world. To say that God was crucified is to say a nonsensical thing. Only criminals were crucified. It was the lowest form of punishment, not anywhere where God would be. Plus, a God who suffered, a God who was vulnerable, this is not God. And to have that same God teaching that those who also suffer and are vulnerable, the poor, the broken-hearted, the humble, the merciful, the peaceful, the persecuted, that they are blessed in a world that glorified the rich and the powerful, those with status and, yes, even wisdom. Well, that was just completely upside down. Downright foolishness. But all that means, if we are going to try to live like Jesus in a world still structured very much the same. We are going to have to start acting like fools. Especially those of us who could easily be counted as the powerful, the noble, and the wise by the world's standards. For God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not, things that are nothing. To bring to nothing the things that are. This is revolutionary language. Language of inversion. Can we hear it? Can we live it? As Jesus sits down on that mountain and begins to teach his disciples, he is laying out the shape of the Christian life, an outline he would conform his own life to, even if that meant dying an excruciating and incomprehensible death. But By doing so, he is showing us there is a right way to live. There is a good way to be in this world, a way that would conform to the character of God but that would not conform to the wisdom of this world. Such a life is to be lived by the simple, foolish principle of love above all else. For such foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. Such weakness is stronger than human strength. So in a world that is uncaring, that is mad with brutality and violence from the coast of California to the streets of Memphis to the battlefields of the Ukraine, in a world obsessed and corrupted with power, full of unfairness and unkindness, this is our response. This is our resistance. This is our revolution. To be always, everywhere, at all times, foolishly loving. It's as simple and as hard as that. Amen.